Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we are continuing our study through the book of Exodus, just a verse by verse exposition, just walking through, understanding, being challenged by the truth of God's word. One of the beautiful things about preaching through a book is we come to hard sections. I can just blame God's word. You can't get mad at me for preaching at you, right? So we come to sections of scripture sometimes that are difficult, sometimes that challenge us a little bit more. I think the Ten Commandments fall into that category because the Ten Commandments are very well known, but sometimes they challenge the way we think. They challenge the way that we live, and we should always examine our lives based on the truth of God's word, right? We should always take God's word as our standard, as our guide. And if we're doing something that the Bible forbids us to do, we should stop. And so as we come to the Ten Commandments and are are challenged by the things that we see, I pray the Lord just opens up your eyes to his truth, uh, allows you to maybe see the areas of your life that need to change based on his word and based on the way in which he's challenged us. Now, we've taken a look at the Ten Commandments kind of as a whole so far, and I want to just show them to you again because there's a pattern here I want you to notice that'll help us better understand kind of what the Lord's doing here. The first four very simply speak about our relationship to the Lord. How do we view him? How do we worship him? How do we see him? How do we understand him? And then the second six relate to the people around us. How do we deal with mankind? How do we deal with the people at work? How do we think and live here on this earth? So the first four relate to the Lord and how we see him. The second six relate to the people of the earth and how we live among them. And last week we looked at the first commandment, which says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. And we talked about the great I am and the personal relationship of the Lord and really kind of the the main premise of that idea of that first commandment is that we won't have idols. And so I challenge you with this idea, are there idols in your life that keep you from seeing and thinking about the things of the Lord? What are the things that take precedent for you over your walk with Christ? And if you have those things, see those things, are aware of those things, your call as you walk with the Lord is to remove those things in your life, to put Christ first. And so we looked last week at the first commandment. This morning, we're going to look at commandments two and three. So let's jump right in this morning. We got a lot to look at and a lot to cover. Exodus chapter 20. Verse four, right? The Lord has called Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. The people of Israel are watching from below. They can see the fire and the smoke and the majesty of the Lord. The glory of the Lord has descended on the top of that mountain. God now has given Moses the first commandment. Now we're gonna look at the second and the third. Exodus chapter 20, verse four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Look at the first truth this morning. The first thing I want you to get that we find in the second commandment, number one, we should worship correctly. The Lord commands us very simply to worship correctly. How we worship the Lord matters. And so what we do on Sunday morning in here together matters. Right? Some people see this as just something else to do, or maybe I'm here because I have to be, or maybe somebody invited me and this is my first time. Welcome, we're glad you're here. But I want you to understand the significance of worshiping the Lord together. Right? It's found in Scripture. It's commanded of us. It's an opportunity corporately for us to gather together, to sing praises, to sit under the teaching of the Word, to corporately fellowship together and worship the Lord. But the other side of that equation is worship doesn't just have to happen on Sunday morning. Like if you think the only time you can worship the Lord is at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, you're missing the teachings of Scripture, right? You can worship the Lord throughout the week in the way that you love others, in the way that you serve others, in the way that you pray, in the way that you seek the Lord. And so we're commanded here to worship correctly. The, The first commandment was really about what we worship. The second commandment is more about how we worship. And so the Lord gives us some very specific examples here in verse 4 of Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. One writer said it like this, that pretty much covers everything. Nothing in the sky, nothing on the ground, nothing in the sea. In other words, the Israelites were not allowed to represent God in the form of anything in all creation. Now, we're not in our current culture probably going home and carving idols. Right? We're not making images of the Lord out of wood or clay or stone. But remember, the people of Israel had just come out of Egypt. It's always important for us when we study God's word to study it in context. Right? And this comes in a story that we've been studying now for the last several months. The people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've come out of a place that was polytheistic. They served a lot of gods, and a lot of the gods of the Egyptians were represented with animals. So you see these Egyptian gods represented as a falcon or a frog or a lion. They worship these false gods depicted as animals. So the God of Israel, the true and living God, says, listen, you're not to worship me in any sort of an image, any sort of an idol. Don't create for yourself these things that you're going to place in your house or even in your churches and worship me as some sort of an idol. Now, Romans chapter 1 speaks to this idea. And as I read Romans 1, especially in the context of what's happening in our world today, I think to myself, we could probably do an entire sermon series just on the first chapter of the book of Romans. But I want you to listen to chapter 1, and I want you to notice exactly what the Lord says is going to happen and exactly why he says it's going to take place. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Man, it seems like we're living in a world that suppresses the truth today, doesn't it? Verse 20, we're living out Romans 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, right? People can see the power of the Lord just through the things he's created. Just looking around the world, they can see. So they're without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, here it is, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because, here's why, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, right? The Lord says, listen, in these days, the wrath of God will be revealed against people who substituted the truth for a lie and they quit worshiping God, the creator of all things, and instead worship his creation. Now, why would God forbid this type of worship? Well, he tells us very simply in this passage of scripture, the Bible says he is a jealous God. Now, when we hear that he's a jealous God, sometimes we have a little problem with that. Like for us, the attribute of jealousy is not necessarily a good thing, right? But God's jealousy means that he continually seeks to protect his own honor. Wayne Grudem, who's a very famous theologian and has written a systematic theology that's really good. Some of you may even have it and have read it. Here's what Wayne Grudem says about the jealousy of the Lord. He says people sometimes have trouble thinking that jealousy is a desirable attribute in God. This is because jealousy for our own honor in human beings is almost always wrong. We are not to be proud but humble. Yet we must realize that the reason pride is wrong is the theological reason. It's because we do not deserve the honor that belongs to God alone. So oftentimes what we do is we want to take the honor, we want to take the glory away from the Lord. Right? We want to elevate ourselves. We want to see us, ourselves as more important. We want to take that fame and we want to take it from the Lord. And God says, listen, I'm a jealous God. You're to worship me and worship me alone. In fact, Revelation 4, 10 and 11 speak of this truth. Looking into heaven, John, when he writes about what he sees in the throne room, says the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne. And worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now some of you are probably thinking, this is good. I hear you. But listen, Adam, I'm probably not going to go on today and carve out of some wood, an idol of the Lord, and put it on my table and worship that. So I'm not, I'm not worshiping graven images. I'm not worshiping things that I've created in the Lord. How can I take this truth of the second commandment and apply it to my life? Because it seems like something that maybe the people of Israel, maybe the Egyptians struggled with, but it's not really something I do in my own life. I'm not carving up idols. Here's the problem. Here's how this relates to us. We create a false 
understanding of who God is in our mind. And when we do that, that doesn't line up with the biblical narrative. So what we do is we kind of create this God and we remove some of his attributes. So we'll say something like this, God is love. He's gonna love me no matter what. That is true, but God is also just. And we say, listen, I know God is this and God's gonna do this, but he's not gonna do this. And so we diminish his power, we diminish his glory, we put him in a a box and we allow him into certain areas of our lives and not into others. And oftentimes the way we do that is by choosing which part of the Bible we're gonna believe and follow over other areas. So maybe we say something like this, I'm not gonna murder, but I'll lie if necessary. I'm not gonna commit adultery, but I'm probably gonna covet another man's wife. I'm not gonna steal, but I'm gonna work every single Sabbath day. In essence, we're creating this false image of who the Lord is, right? We're diminishing his power by thinking he's one God that's kind of weaker and not interested. He's only gonna love and show goodness to me without understanding he's magnificent and all-powerful and glorious and he's just. And when we remove certain attributes from him, we're in essence creating false idols. And when we do that, we're breaking the second commandment. One writer said it like this. We are tempted to worship God the way we want him to be. That's so true. Rather than the way he actually is. We tend to emphasize the things about God that we like and we minimize the risk. When we do this, we end up with a deity without the love, compassion, or grace. The answer is very simple. Rather than remaking God into our image, we need to be remade into his image. God does this by bringing us into a personal, saving relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Like the way that we worship him in all of his fullness, in all of his majesty, in all of his glory matters. Now let's continue. Look at verse four again. Exodus chapter 20. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now here's the next section we're gonna think about. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments, right? We should worship the Lord properly. How we worship matters. Truth number two, we need to lead intentionally, right? We need to lead intentionally, right? We worship correctly by the way that we see the Lord and without creating false images of him in our mind, without diminishing his power or glory. The second thing is we need to lead intentionally. How we lead our families in the things of the Lord matters. Let me say that again. How we lead our families in the things of the Lord matters. Now, God's given us this very clear warning, and I want to see it for what it actually says because I don't want there to be any confusion here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, that's the sin of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who 
hate me. Now let's make sure we understand exactly what this means. We want to be clear, right? Your children are not punished because of your sin. In other words, the Lord doesn't take the sin of the father and directly punish the son because of it, right? And there's scripture that will back that up. What that verse says instead is he's going to visit the iniquity of the father on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So there's this idea built into this text that when a father or mother, when the parents don't lead the family well, they're going to create within their children this hatred for the Lord that will eventually cost them generations from now. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Guys, men, fathers, moms, There's a lot of pressure on us to lead intentionally because the Bible is very clear here. If we drop the ball here and we don't teach our children well the things of the Lord, then generations from now, our children's children's children on down the line will hate the Lord simply because we didn't properly pass our faith down to them. And the Lord says he's going to visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation, those who hate me, right? You're not held responsible for the sins of others, but the legacy, the example you leave will shape and impact them greatly. How you lead matters. Now, if you've been around me for a while, you understand that I talk about this pretty regularly. This is a big deal for me personally. And I preach about this, and there's a lot of verses that I usually want to think through and talk through. And one of my favorite is found in Deuteronomy chapter six. And you don't have to look it up if you don't want to or you want to flip quickly, you can. But Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning in verse four, is a picture of exactly what this looks like to the people of Israel. In fact, God was very specific in the way that they led their families. God was very specific in the way that they trained their children. And so we read in Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning in verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, here it is. Here's the foundational principle for parenting, Deuteronomy 6, 7. You shall teach them. These are the things that you've learned about the Lord. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, When you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There's this very clear sense in Deuteronomy chapter six. There's a very clear sense in the second commandment that we should be teaching and training our children diligently, right? That's intentionally, that's consistently, that's over and over again. Not just at certain times, but when you sit down, when you get up, when you walk, when you rise, when you go to bed, bind them on your hands and your face, put them on the doorposts of your house, There's this sense that we should lead our families in such a way, men and women, that our children understand that we love the Lord, that we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to pass that faith down to the generations below us. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. I promise you, I promise you, I'm at the head of the line here. If you don't believe it, just ask my children. When they get to be teenagers, they'll tell you how they really feel, right? Amen to that? And they're kind of coming at you from an adult perspective. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with this, right? Because they're telling me the truth. And I don't know quite how to say. They'll tell you the truth about how you act sometimes. And sometimes I drop the ball. 
But I realize every single day, and I tell people this, every time I drop the ball, I'm just gonna pick it back up the next day and run with it as best I can. Forgive me, Lord, I blew it today. I messed it up, man, I should have done better. And listen, it's not uncommon for me to go to my kids and apologize. And now that they're older, they get it. They're starting to see it more. You know, when they're kids, it didn't quite mean as much. Now it means more to them. But I'm gonna mess it up, Lord, and tomorrow I'm gonna pick it back up and do the best I can. So there's gonna be these peaks and these valleys, but I pray for my family. There's this slow, steady, upward trend of loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength that they can see that in me. They can understand that's important to me. And so I'm trying to pass down to them so that generations below that will seek the Lord and love the Lord and honor the Lord and the Lord will bless that. But there is great intentionality there for families. It's awfully important the way you lead. It's awfully important what your kids see you doing, how you treat your wife, the significance of church in your life, the significance of prayer in your life, how often the Bible or the things of the Lord are brought into conversations. All of those things matter, right? You're teaching, you're training intentionally, consistently, week after week, month after month, year after year. And the neat thing about the second commandment is there's this beautiful promise built into it in verse six. So he's talked about the Sin in the life of the fathers and the mothers and the iniquity visited on generations below them. Then verse six, there's this beautiful promise. But showing steadfast love to thousands, and most scholars think that means generations, that thousands is referring to generations. So showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. One writer kind of challenged me as I read this. I'm gonna read it to you. It's about a paragraph long, but it was very, very helpful for me to think through and to understand how the Lord's challenging me in these verses. Here's what this writer said. What is God doing in your family? As parents plan for the future, now listen, they should be more concerned about the second commandment than they are about their financial portfolio. This commandment contains a solemn warning for fathers. When a man refuses to love God passionately, and to worship God properly, the consequences of his sin will last for generations. The deep guilt of a man who treasures idols in his heart will corrupt his entire family, and in the end, they will all be punished. The man who loves God supremely, a man who bows before him in genuine worship and serves him with true praise, will see the blessing of God rest on his household forever. What kind of life are you leaving? What kind of worship are you giving? What kind of legacy will you give to your family? It's a great question. It's a great question. The second commandment pulls it out here as we see the significance of leading intentionally, loving our family. So we're worshiping by not creating idols, by not diminishing the Lord in our lives. We're leading our families well to understand exactly who the Lord is, to see his power and his majesty and his significance in our life. Now let's look at verse seven of Exodus chapter 20, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Truth number three, we need to speak respectfully when it comes to the things of the Lord. Right? We need to speak respectively in all matters that relate to Christ. Right? Vain means empty, nothing, worthless, no good. So when we take the name of the Lord in vain, we're diminishing who he is. 
And that could be with profanity, that could be with a coarse joke, that could be just using his name as an expression of some type. We all kind of know what that looks like. The Bible forbids that to happen. Why? Because a name matters. To us, it's just a distinction of who we are, but to the people of Israel especially, a name was really about who they were, the divine essence of their being, right? We spent a lot of time thinking about the I am of the Lord. That wasn't an accident. That was significant. The people of Israel would have understood what that meant. And so a name is important. It matters. The Lord says, listen, don't take my name in vain. Instead, when you use my name, use it to praise me. Use it to demonstrate my glory. Psalm 81, 8, excuse, excuse me, Psalm 8, 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 106, 8, yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. Psalm 111.9, he sent redemption to his people. He's commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name, right? We celebrate, we praise, we love the name of the Lord. Now, here's the challenge for us. We need to take this very seriously. You say, listen, I, I get it. I'm, I'm not gonna go out and use profanity. I'm not gonna use the Lord's name in vain. I don't do that. It's not who I am. It's not my character. I get it. So, you know, check on the third commandment. Let's keep on moving, right? But let's just ponder just for a second. Let's be challenged here. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we carry the name of Jesus, right? We're we're little Christ. That's what Christian means. And so when you call yourself a Christian, you're associating yourself with who he is. Our reputation is a reflection of his reputation. So everything we do, it should be our aim to honor and glorify his name. Now watch. So taking the name of the Lord in vain is more than just saying it. It can also be the way a Christian acts. Because if you call yourself a Christian and don't live for Christ, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. Do you understand that? Because I promise you the world's watching. I promise you the world wants nothing more than for leaders of churches, faithful people of churches, deacons, Sunday school teachers to fail. Because then they can just say, "Ah, I told you so, they're no different than me. Just a bunch of hypocrites, right? And so as we live out our lives, proclaiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. We need to understand, we need to live for him so we're not taking his name in vain. We're not diminishing who he is in the world. We wanna live our lives in such a way that the Lord's name is honored and glorified. That guy's a Christian. He acts differently than I do. That lady's a Christian. She treats people differently than I do. That guy's a Christian. I can't quite put my finger on it, but he just thinks differently than I do. He's got a different foundation than I do. The world needs to see Jesus lived out in us because we're bearers, right? We're image bearers. We're name bearers of exactly who Jesus Christ is, and it matters. It's more than just our speech. It's the way we live and the way we act, everything of who we are. But maybe the greatest truth, and I'm gonna finish with this idea this morning, The greatest truth about the name of Jesus is this. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 4 says, there's no other name under heaven given among which men might be saved but the name of Jesus. You know, if you're here this morning, maybe you're watching from home and you say, I've heard this before, 
I've read through these commandments. I've never really kind of delved into them enough or or a whole lot, but I I hear what you're saying, Adam, but I've never really given my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. I'd love to share with you this morning exactly what takes place when you do that. When you realize maybe for the first time ever, listen, I've been living a life of sin. I've kind of turned my back on the things of the Lord. I want to turn from that sin, repent and turn to Christ and accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'd like to talk to you about that here in just a minute. And so we're going to give you the opportunity. We're going to do an invitation. You can pray. You can come speak to me about salvation. You can speak to me about church membership. But as we think about the Lord and the commandments and worshiping and leading our family and how we live our lives so as to not take his name in vain, I pray the Holy Spirit speaks to you very clearly and you respond. Now let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this study through the book of Exodus. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us, Lord, you have protected your words for thousands of years now that we can still read it and have a very clear understanding of exactly what happened, Father, exactly what you did, of exactly how you led your people. And so I pray that as we, Father, understand and and learn your scripture and apply it to our lives, that we would worship you correctly, Father, that we would lead our families intentionally and we would speak about you respectfully, Father, in the things that we say and in the way that we live. So, Father, impact us, change us, convict us right now. May you receive honor. May you receive glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.